0: Jen I am your host today for turn the page and I'm here today with a return guest Uh, last year I talked to this guest about a fabulous book and I am here to discuss another today so let's get into it can I ask you
1: to introduce yourself and your book please Hi, Jen. My name is Jill Paul and um, I'm a UK based author of historical novels about women who lived in the first half of the 20th century, who had really fascinating lives that may not have been covered adequately, in my opinion, by historians who've not been given the credit they deserve. And uh, yeah, so my new novel, A Beautiful Rival, is about two extraordinary, phenomenal women, Elizabeth Arden and Helena Rubenstein, who basically created the modern beauty industry, And what fascinates me about them is that they had a five decades long feud. They hated each other. They were in the same industry. They had a lot in common, but they did everything they could to sabotage each other's businesses. And I just thought that was such fun to write about.
0: It is such a fascinating story, um, because these women had so much in common, and you know some important differences in their experiences too. Sure. Uh, that and the intensity of the rivalry is my gosh! It was not just professional; it got very personal. It seems like
1: <laughs> it absolutely did yes. I mean, it started when Helena arrived in uh, Manhattan in 1914 to look for a salon and Elizabeth was already established there and and she felt very strongly it was her territory. And Helena came in quite aggressively, setting Mm -hmm. off on a, a road tour around the States to persuade department stores to stock her products and and um, telling their assistants how to become Helena Rubinstein woman. So she did come in, you know, and taking advertising in all the magazines and Elizabeth's hackles rose at this. So it began with just planting negative stories in the press, um, sabotaging advertising campaigns. And then it went to copying each other's products and um, and poaching staff. But it got much darker in the 1930s. And uh, when they were. uh, Helena was Jewish. And um, Elizabeth was hanging out with well, she was dining in Paris with Nazis, and she wasn't strongly political, but she was anti-Semitic in the way that quite a lot of people were of a certain group were in that era. So that set, that really darkened the rivalry between them at that point. Mm. I'm really curious about. Um you know your shift between
0: projects cuz last year we discussed um Manhattan Girls which i loved mm-hmm. it was about Dorothy Parker and her circle with the Algonquin group um and to shift to this world um which covers some of the same time period but also it has a very large scope so it covers more time periods um like so when you are sw- uh, switching gears between projects um what kind of you know at one at what point do you decide that uh like a research interest is a novel if that makes sense
1: Ah. Mm -hmm. I've got a file with lots of ideas that have occurred to me or that readers have suggested over the years I love it when readers get in touch with me and say why don't you write about xyz and I just keep them in a file and um And uh, I'll pitch to my editor every year when I finish one contract and I'll I'll suggest maybe three, four or five ideas and see what she thinks is right for the market at that time. Because Mm. as well as finding the stories in history and the women that I'm interested in writing about, it's got to have some kind of contemporary relevance Mm. that we think people nowadays will want to read about. So, yeah, it's a kind of joint process of deciding which idea. For me, the ingredients I'm looking for in a story are just, well, extraordinary women that I feel have been undervalued in some way. Mm. But I want them to be very complex, multifaceted characters as well. Difficult lives, not straightforward. You know, my characters don't tend to marry their childhood sweetheart and stay Mm. with them for the rest of their lives, let's just say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Very complicated lives and complicated people. And I really appreciate that, you know, the stories find empathy for them, but without you know, filing off their rough edges, you know, they're, (laughs) they are presented in all their sort of messy glory. And I really appreciate that. Um, From the, the, you know, the historical aspect, I love that, like, this story gave depth to names, you know, that as a, as an 80s and 90s kids, I only recognized from TV and from salons, you know, like, as a growing up in the 90s, I knew Helena Rubinstein as a, you know, a funder of public television, (laughs) her name would appear after this program. And I knew Liz Arden from, you know, the salon that my mom loved to go to. And Mm -hmm. so when you're a kid, I don't think you really understand that there are histories behind names. And so to sort of get this new context was really fascinating for me. Um, What made you choose the cosmetics industry? Because I find it super fascinating.
1: Yeah, I didn't specifically choose the cosmetics industry i was you know when i'm looking for ideas i'll google um somebody that interests me or i I read a lot of biographies i've always loved reading biographies Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not the the person that the biography is of it's a little footnote at the bottom that leads me off in a completely different direction Mm -hmm. and uh I just sort of follow rabbit holes and research until i find a story that leaps out for me and with those two it wasn't the cosmetics so much although they are extraordinary women and they haven't they haven't really been given credit for the fact that they managed from no money in their backgrounds at all no family wealth, no rich husbands just from scratch they created these global empires and became self-made millionaires in an era where there's no way women could get a bank loan. They just couldn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, they just managed it. On opposite side, sides of the world, uh, Helena in Australia and Elizabeth in Manhattan and um, until they came together in 1915 and started clashing. No, it was always the story of the few that fascinated mm-hmm. me. But I did learn a lot about the cosmetics along the way. They created the modern industry. They're the ones before them. You had maybe Pond's Cold Cream. You had rose water. You had glycerin. But they're the ones that started marketing campaigns telling women it was their duty to be beautiful, that, um, you know, you couldn't have a successful marriage if you didn't take care of your skin, basically. All this all this messaging that feminists aren't very approving of, you know, when you get to the 70s and 80s. But back then it was enormously influential. That is the bit that fascinates
0: me. It's that sort of like that tension between You know, the industry and I think these women's relationship to it too being empowering and exploitative, you know, because like it is the message is like, oh, this will help, you know, it'll help your marriage, it'll help your career, it'll help this, it'll help that. But also, it's like feeding on people's insecurities as well, you know. And so, I'm really interested in like that sort of psychological uh, dance
1: (laughs) between these two elements. Absolutely. I mean, they came along, I mean, they were lucky to come at a point where, first of all, you know, the, the glossy magazines had started to, to be produced. Vogue was 1890s and they could advertise in there. And so that was one step. And the next was the the growth of department stores, you know, these vast consumer emporiums where they could display their products and give away free samples and meet their customers face to face. Um, but uh, so these two things, but also makeup was becoming more publicly acceptable. I mean, before the 1920s, no um, decent woman would be seen wearing makeup. That was, what was for actresses and prostitutes. Mm-hmm. But it was it was partly the silent movie stars with their huge black eyes and dark lips that that helped to change that trend, and the flappers as well came along, the younger generation, and gradually Elizabeth and Helena introduced basic kind of skincare a little bit of lipstick that just gave your lips a healthier glow and a bit of powder to even out the complexion and and they moved so they came along just as makeup was becoming publicly acceptable and that obviously helped their businesses enormously
0: Mm. Uh, so I'm really curious about you know when you're writing something like this um, maybe like how the roles of historian and the roles of novelist might clash or interact you know because when you're writing the story of a bitter rivalry like this um as a historian i like if you were telling the story as a historian your job would be to remain objective uh and non-judgmental and present it as it happened but as a novelist uh you know part of your job is to induce empathy in people and you have to sort of feel that for your characters as well so when you were writing this story um did you feel yourself tempted to take sides or to identify with one woman more than the other or sort of what was your like relationship
1: to the characters as you were writing it it's I always felt very strongly myself that Mm -hmm. I felt very sorry for both of them I think um Elizabeth was just about the loneliest person in the world but she was her own worst enemy as well because she um You know, she was such a snob and that's just not a likable quality at all. And um, she alienated people with that. And also, you know, the anti-Semitism is difficult for people in our generation to identify with and to like her for it. But she was doing what a lot of people did in that day. Helena as well, she was a workaholic. She never, ever stopped. You know, her correspondence with her husband in Paris when their marriage was on the rocks. And she said, I just work and work and work. I've worked since I was 18 years old and you reap the benefits. And and I thought, yeah, she really did. She worked her knuckles to the bone. Um, so, yeah, but you were asking about the difference between a biography, you know, a historian and a novelist. Mm-hmm. And there is, I should say, there's a fantastic biography, joint biography of these two by Lindy Woodhead called War Paint. And that came out in 2003. And that's, I found that through my Googling around and read it. But Lindy Woodhead, you know, can only report the facts as a biographer. And I jump between the gap the gaps in the facts, and there are loads and loads of gaps, for example, she Lindy Woodhead doesn't know none of us actually know for sure what products of each other's co- they copied, which advertising campaigns when I'm writing that as a novel, I have to fictionalize it, so I have to come up I have to be specific, I have to give them all the thoughts and feelings and dialogue that I do in the novel. And there were big gaps in the narrative. So I felt quite entitled in this case to to leap in there and make things up that worked in terms of, you know, that still made them emotionally plausible as characters. But uh, yeah, when I'm writing, I mean, I've written a novel, for example, about Jackie Kennedy and Maria Callas, Jackie and Maria, which came out in 2020, Mm. and there they're lives are covered in such detail by so many biographers that it was much harder I didn't really have any wiggle room to fictionalize but with Elizabeth and Helen and there's big gaps and um, I leapt into them and waved my little magical author's wand that I keep here
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that and I love you know exploring those gaps too because I think you know especially when you are writing about people who had very uh, public images and probably worked very hard to present a particular image, um, that gives you a lot of space to play with, like with you know, reality versus image, or what was the what was behind the performance for the
1: public, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, illusion is is kind of a theme in the novel because both Elizabeth and Helena were pretending to be something they weren't. Elizabeth was brought up in um she, in Canada in Woodbridge, Ontario, um the daughter of a tenant farmer ridiculously poor, I mean, really scraping for vegetables in the soil and hand-me-down clothes from her siblings. And she was determined. She got a job in a beauty salon in New York with all these glamorous, wealthy women coming in. And she didn't just want to treat them. She wanted to be them. She reinvented herself. She changed her name. She changed her accent. She changed her appearance and tried to pass herself off as an upper class New York woman, mm. um, which clearly she wasn't. And, and you know, for of the, the real wealthy classes in those days she would never quite be accepted because she worked in trade for goodness sake mm-hmm. um helena was also pretending to be something she wasn't she'd uh, she claimed she started her business in australia having left the family home in poland um where they were also her father was a kerosene salesman and there were eight daughters so they weren't wealthy either and um, she came to Australia to stay with some relatives and reinvented herself there. And she claimed that she'd studied medicine at Krakow University, that she'd studied skin care under top European specialists. All of this was untrue. And she also claimed that a skin cream that she imported from Poland was made from anti-aging Carpathian herbs. Nobody has ever been able to track down these these Carpathian herbs, she claimed. And um, in fact, she she soon started making her own um, creams and there's no evidence of her importing Carpathian herbs at all. But this was all, you know, it was all the marketing. So they've both got this big image that they're trying to promote and it's not true and of course makeup itself is an illusion we put it on and we become more confident and possibly more outgoing as we have this mask to hide behind Mm -hmm. so yeah the the novel is definitely about illusion on one level Absolutely. And um,
0: forgive me if this seems tangential for a second, but it will come back. Um, I used to study um, medieval history, which I may have mentioned last time. And something I got really interested in was medieval cosmetic culture, because some of so much of it came from the Arab world. uh, And so much of it was about just like you were saying um, about obscuring class origins or ethnic origins or making yourself look like someone who you are not in order to fit into new social spaces you know Mm -hmm. and so I love how that you know that hundreds and hundreds of years later is sort of still at work that like these class conscious women who have moved through the ranks are reinventing themselves with the aids of their own you know products and. yeah
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And not just class, of course, because makeup has been, you know, used with race as well. I think this I think this started in the 19th century with women trying to whiten their skin and look look lighter than than they were born. And, uh, yeah, that's another, you know, not not very admirable aspect of the cosmetic industry, I guess.
0: Um, I'd love if you could talk a little bit about writing on this sort of like um epic timescale, you know, of a lifetime uh, over decades. Um, Because mm-hmm. it occurred to me as I was reading that, you know, I always think of, or I have perhaps thought of character building and world building as something that you maybe do once in a novel. But when you are writing something that takes place over an entire person's lifespan and many historical periods, you are character building and world building over and over again, you know? And so- mm-hmm. When you were tracing women's lives over the course of an entire lifespan, um, how do you like achieve that balance of like, the way a person grows and transforms over an entire life with like that sort of kernel of consistency or identity i'm not quite sure if i'm getting the question coherent yeah, no no
1: i know exactly <laughs> what you mean i mean writing biographical fiction we i mean it's completely different from what a biographer does so we're not trying to get down everything that's happened to them in their lives or every aspect of, of of their lives by any means whatsoever the first thing that i'm really looking for when i'm doing my research is a story arc that I can pull out and in the case of elizabeth and helena it really was the the arc was about their rivalry and i've covered 3 decades from 1915 to 45 roughly mm-hmm. and uh, you know everything that i mean i cover their marriages as well but everything that else that wasn't really relevant to the feud Either I cut or my editor made me cut in the editing stages because you need a novel to keep a certain amount of focus. But as you say, when you're covering different time periods, um, you can create a world quite, quite economically in a novel with just a, a couple of scenes, a little bit, a few brushstrokes here and there. You don't, I, I don't write with great big long passages of description, but if I come upon sometimes i mean in manhattan girls for example i remember as as one character was running down a street you know I, I i looked at the billboards that she ran past which were particularly 1920s and just a tiny detail like that can set the scene for you um you're just looking for brush strokes rather than an entire oil painting of each scene i guess is is the answer
0: mm-hmm. Well, that's so interesting. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there any uh, thing that you're able to say about what you're working on or what's on the horizon? I know that sometimes authors are not at liberty to talk about these things, but, you know, what's going on for you right now?
1: My next novel is going to be out next summer, and I can't tell you the subject yet because mm-hmm. there are certain legal implications about it. But it's, I'm jumping to the 1960s, which mm-hmm. I, in my mind is always At the 20s and the 60s are just two of my favourite decades to write about because they seem to me decades in which there were fundamental changes in society Mm. when kids were rebelling against their parents, when things moved on, you know, at the end of the, you know, beginning of the 20, the 1920s women have got the vote you know they've got so much more freedom they're starting to have careers they don't necessarily need a man to marry a man to get money and um, then in the 1960s goodness we've got free love coming along mini miniskirts and and uh It's just and the pill obviously was the big game changer Mm. in the 1960s as well. So both of these decades I've always really loved. I've written the 1960s before with my Jackie and Maria novel Mm. and it was great fun to go back there again. So, yeah, I don't have a publication date for that one, but it'll be next August, September, I reckon. That sounds if the Lawyers agree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I hope they do, and I hope you get to come. Uh, you know, come and talk about that one too. I I'd think you're absolutely to. right about the 20s and the 60s, um, because they're both like um extraordinarily turbulent times, but also like moments of great optimism too, and sort of potential. And that's such an interesting kind of ex- it's
1: historical moment to explore. And music, and glamour, mm. and fashion you know, a lot of changes in the fashion as well. And uh, yeah, no, I love dipping into these, these eras. Although it's, you know, I'm of an age where I think 60s, is that really historical, but I'm told it is. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that
0: either. <laughs> Any of the 20th uh, century, I remember, I you know, I grade papers sometimes. And one of my students recently wrote in the late 1900s, And I'm like, no, that's not a historical period. You can't say that. Just say 1990s. It
1: doesn't sound right, does it? No, No. (laughs) with you.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you again so much for joining us. This has been really lovely. And yeah, I'm always happy to read your books and talk to you about
1: them. (laughs) Oh, thank you.
0: It's been great fun. Thanks a lot. You're so welcome. Listeners, please check out A Beautiful Arrival. It is so, so, so interesting and so much fun. And you will get to know two really extraordinarily interesting and complicated and influential women so please check it out thanks so much for joining us and it is now time to close this chapter it's time to close this chapter of turn the page join us for the next episode